When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 101, and we are recording on October 10th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. What's up, well, Amanda? Welcome back to our regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> I hope last week's episode wasn't too crazy for you guys. I bet people liked it. I hope so. I hope so. I'm just going to assume yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, we didn't get any, like, hate mail. No, so no, it's fine. About small press and, and literature and translation. Who would who can hate on that? Come on. Come on. No, but it's true. We are actually answering your questions today. But before we do that, what are you reading, Amanda? I am reading Shades of Milk and Honey uh, by Mary Robinette Cowell. And this is in preparation for a bonus episode that we're doing in December. It's not bonus, but whatever. An episode we're doing in December uh, all about read-alikes for Jane Austen. And so I've heard about this book over and over, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm listening to it on audio. Um, And it's basically Pride and Prejudice meets Sense and Sensibility with light magic. So it's like very Regency. Um, It's about two sisters, one of whom is very sensible, one of whom is very emotional and kind of (laughs) irritating. Um, They have various romantic adventures and there's like a twist where the women, and I think some of the dudes so far, uh, but mostly the female characters have the ability to do what they call glamour, which is kind of like really complicated or not, depending on their talent level, um, levels of visual magic. So like it's illusions and stuff like that. Um, Some characters use it to like make themselves look more attractive. Some use it to like make their homes more cozy. Like there's a lot of uses for it. So um, yeah, it's, you know, Light love drama and light magic. It's very light. I also have heard about Mary Robinette Cowell over and over again. One day I'll read her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll let you know how it goes. (laughs) Yes, one day. Whether or not Um, it ends up on the show. Yeah, who knows? (laughs) I I just finished Provenance by Anne Leckie, which is her new standalone. It is set in the world of the Ancillary series, but it's like totally separate. There's some references made to the Radchai, um, if that's how you say that. Who the hell knows? (laughs) But... um, but yeah, it's 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 totally standalone. And you know what was so I mean it's great. I mean for the record it's great. But you know what's so interesting about this one is it was kind of lighthearted. Yeah. Which which is <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, it's funny? Like what what? Because the ancillary justice books are not exactly lighthearted in any stretch of the imagination. And like she's still doing all the things that we love her for. Like she's playing with gender and there's, you know, different sexualities on the page. And I mean, it's really, and there's like some class stuff in this one, which was really great. So like she's taking on all of this social commentary like she did in the ancillary series, but also like somebody saves the day by hitting somebody else with a shoe. Like what? (laughs) What and it's like it's I like she I got tired. She got tired of writing all the social. I justice guess so. Stuff. I'm into it. I'm like very here for it. Um, and just wasn't expecting it at all. So you know, people keep asking for cozy sci-fi, like um the uh, Becky Chambers books. Mm-hmm. You know, and I like this is this is the closest thing I've read in a while. Honestly, um, I mean it's it's definitely serious science fiction, but it's also got this like funniness to it, which I just was not expecting. It's delightful. Um, all right. 
right. So here's how the show works. You send us your questions about what you should read next. It can be for your book group or what you should get for a friend or a relative um, and what books they like. If there's a book that left a hole in your heart and you need similar books to fill it, you let us know. We'll do our best to find books for you. Uh, you can send those questions to getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of all the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive, please do put that in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form. We will do our best to get to it uh, on time. And if we think we're not going to get to it on time on the air or we've had a lot of similar questions, we might email you some responses. So keep an eye on your email. Um, all right. And with that, we are going to launch into the show. So I'm going to read the first question. Amanda's going to tell us about our first sponsor and away we will go. Uh, so Vanessa writes, I'm a big horror slash thriller fan, and I'm looking to include more diverse authors and protagonists in my reading. Most recently, I read and loved Lovecraft Country, in which a black community comes together to battle eldritch horrors. I like Joe Hill, Shirley Jackson, Jack Ketchum, uh, novels or short stories, and both supernatural or more reality-based stories, as long as there is a scary slash spooky atmosphere. Can you recommend some horror authors who are people of color, LGBT, or from a religious minority, or horror books that have a non white non-straight protagonist yes we can <laughs> okay um so before we get started i'm going to tell you about our first sponsor which i'm so excited about uh, it is the book called the blood print by Ozma zehanat khan who we have talked about at length on this show um she is probably best well known to y'all as the author of the unquiet dead uh, which is the first in a series of mysteries uh that take place in canada and involve a lot of like international relations and um have a lot of diversity uh so this is her first fantasy novel and it is like high fantasy so in this book the talisman is a superstitious patriarchy that exists to suppress knowledge and subjugate women and their power is kind of like growing throughout all of the land. The only ones who are strong enough to stand up to them are uh, the companions of Hera, which is a group of influential women whose power derives from the claim, which is this magic inherent in the words of their sacred scripture. So their leader, or like, you know, foremost among them is uh, Arian and her fellow warrior, Sinia. And they're searching for a miraculous symbol, something that they can use to destroy the talisman's leader. Um, and they know that this is kind of maybe a suicide mission, but it's it's the thing that they feel led to do. So it's, you know, like the epicest of epic fantasy and it's taking <laughs> on religion and gender and politics um, in, a, in a really hopeful way, which I think is, you know, kind of refreshing for books that, uh, or especially epic fantasy that handles such big topics. Uh, so I'm, I have this one on my TBR stack. I'm planning on getting into it in October. I really, really love her mystery series. Um, so this is bound to be good. So check that out. That's The Blood Print by Ozma Zehanat Khan. All should right. I keep going? D should I go uh, first? No, you go ahead. You okay. go ahead. Uh, all right. Um, okay, so diverse horror. I went with uh, Victor Laval. Uh, pretty much everything, anything Yay. by Victor Laval. Uh, if you liked Lovecraft Country, I don't know who that who that author is, but uh, Victor Laval writes a lot of Lovecraftian stuff where he like takes on... The most recent one was... Um, Oh, now the name is escaping me. The Ballad of Black Tom. Thank you. Where he like takes on the the really, really horrible racism in Lovecraft and like examines it in his own way. The book that I picked specifically for you is The Devil in Silver um, because it has kind of like a Joe Hill, Stephen Kingish sort of feeling. It's about a guy who gets arrested for like brawling in a bar um, in New York and he 
puts up a fight and irritates the police enough that they decide to like lock him in a mental institution. So they take him to a budget strapped mental institution in Queens. Um, they're going to keep him there for observation or whatever. And then, you know, he assumes let him out and he will go on about his, his day. But then at night when he is going to sleep, um, the devil comes down out of the ceiling and it's like half, he's like a, a half bison thing and the body of an old man and it almost kills him. And then the hospital staff comes in and takes him away and he wakes up like, did I, did I dream that? Like what, was that a hallucination? Was that the medications that they gave me? Um, but then the other patients tell him that like, no, this hospital really is haunted by the devil. Um, and he has to like team up with a couple of the other patients to defend themselves. Um, but of course, since they're all patients in a mental institution, are they imagining it? Is it like a group psychosis? There's a lot of stuff going on and it's just creepy and weird. And all of the side characters are also creepy and weird. Um, but I liked it a lot and it's a great spooky read for October. So that's the devil, the devil in silver by Victor Laval. Big hurts for that one. I just talked about it. Uh, it'll be in this week's SFF. Yeah. Uh, podcast. I'm such a fan. Okay. Um, my pick for you is ghost summer by Tanana Reeve do, which is a short story collection. You mentioned you were down with short stories and do is like, a one of the leading lights in horror Afrofuturism. She's fantastic. Um, and I feel like this is the place to start. She's written a bunch of stuff. Um, but this one takes you to a town in Florida, um, among other things that has like both a literal and a figurative ghost. Um, there's like future scenarios. There's lots of people who are being touched by the other in strange ways. Um, there's an award-winning novella in here, and it's 15 stories, and one of them had never been published before it made its way into this collection. So it's it's like, and the after, the introduction is written by Nalo Hopkinson, who I adore. Like this is like it's all of the things rolled up into one that I love. Um, so I think this is definitely an author who you are going to want to read a bunch of her stuff. Um, but this is the place to start. Uh, so that is Ghost Summer. Uh, which is short stories by Tanana Reeve Du. Okay, our second question is from Diane, um, who says, I just binge-watched Twin Peaks and loved it. I'm a sucker for small-town drama with mystical elements. I was wondering if you had any similar book recs. I found some lists online that were mainly comprised of thrillers like Gone Girl, which isn't really my thing. Somebody recommended American Gods to me, and I can see why. I've already read it and liked it very much, but I don't feel like rereading it. Note, I've already read everything by Neil Gaiman. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Um, so I took this one to the contributors just because I have not watched Twin Peaks, and so I didn't know... I mean, small-town drama with mystical elements is a pretty easy get, but I wanted to really nail the Twin Peaks thing. So... Um, I think it was Teresa Preston, our contributor, suggested Universal Harvester by John Darnell, which I think is a good pick for this. Um, if you are unfamiliar with him, he's also, uh, uh, excuse me, the guy from Mountain Goats. So if you're like a music person, that's who this author is. Um, so this book takes place in the 90s in Iowa in a small town called Nevada, spelled Nevada, but it's Nevada. Um, in like the late 90s, the main character, Jeremy, Jeremy, works at a video store, like a VHS video store called the Video Hut. Um, he like, he like likes it. It's, you know, it's a good enough, it's a job. It's quiet. He can like watch movies on his shift. The owner, Sarah Jane is nice. They get along, whatever. Um, but then 
a, a local teacher named Stephanie comes in and returns a movie that she had borrowed and says, like, there's something on it. Like, that's not the movie that she wanted. And she doesn't elaborate. She leaves it alone. Um, and then a few days later, another customer brings back a copy of She's All That <laughs> and says there's there's another recording on this tape and, you know, um, it's messed up. So Jeremy takes a look. He plays the video. And in the middle of She's All That, there's, like five minutes of the footage is replaced by a black and white scene of a barn that like is only all you can hear is like somebody breathing really weirdly. Um, like those, you know, how people used to prank call with just mouth breathing. Um, and that's it. And it keeps happening and it's creepy. And the barn looks like a barn that Jeremy is familiar with. Um, and it kind of freaks him out. So he watches it several times and then decides like, he's just going to not do anything about it because it's just too weird and creepy. Um, but then Stephanie, the teacher, is like tr- really bugging him to find out what's going on. Sarah Jane, the owner of the video store, she takes a look and becomes a completely and immediately obsessed with figuring out where this barn is and what's happening to her tapes. Um, and then as the book continues and you start figuring out what's happening, you realize that this like regular old Iowa little small town in the middle of nowhere is actually maybe haunted, being invaded, something terrible. It sounds very much like The Ring, but it's not. Like, the thing that it has in common with The Ring is that there's a video that some weird thing is, like, filmed over. Um, but it's very small town, mystical creepiness, um, and I think it'll go well with with the Twin Peaksy stuff. So it's Universal Harvester by John Darnell. I was thinking about small town drama, mystical elements, and American gods, and I just recently read my first Charlene Harris, which was really, I like, I never, I mean, obviously, you know, True Blood, like, took the world by storm. I didn't actually end up watching it, um, but, but so, they, they, they made a new show out of her uh, Midnight Texas series. So, I read the first book, Midnight Crossroad, and, like, I think it might almost be exactly what you're looking for. Um, so, the, it, it, it opens with this psychic who's also a con, art, con artist, excuse me. So, like, people either think he's not really a psychic, which he's, like, happy for people not to believe that he really is a psychic. Um, and Or, like, they're, like, super sucked in. And, like, sometimes he has visions and sometimes he doesn't. So he's kind of playing both sides. Um, and he is – he has recently moved to this town nowhere, like, in the middle of nowhere in Texas called Midnight – where the inhabitants are very strange. Like, almost immediately, like, he meets a vampire, and (laughs) there's, like, a woman who seems to have a lot of, like, guns and, like, punching, and, like, what's her deal? And then um, there's just, and there's a witch named Fiji who lives across the street, but she's, like, a good witch. Um, it, It, like, there's a lot of, and that's just, like, the surface of what's going on in this very small town. Um, And there starts to be you know obviously somebody turns up murdered um and so now uh, Manfred who he's the psychic he like can talk to dead people because that's part of being a psychic and so he ends up getting sucked into the murder investigation and things uh, unravel from there and the thing that I was so surprised about that I wasn't expecting is that this book is about white supremacy like this is a novel that includes like a biker gang like a white supremacist biker gang and a subplot all about like the white supremacy movement in a way that I just was like, wait, this is a Charlene (laughs) Harris novel, right? Like I just didn't, I just didn't know. I didn't know. Um, 
And it was, but it also had all of this mystical stuff. So it was a really interesting combination of like, you know, small town diner. Like it was like, there's like a very Twin Peaks moment over coffee. Um, so, and then this other like mystical stuff. And then, you know, this, this like political plot line. Um, and there's gay characters on the page. And like, it's just, it's just a different book than I was expecting altogether. And I really enjoyed it. Um, so that's Midnight Crossroad by Charlene Harris. Definitely a small town mystical. Okay, our next question is from Laura, who says, I am seeking book recommendations for my mom, who recently retired from a career in early childhood care, as she has not been able to dive into books without crayon marks in years and is unsure of where to start looking. I would like to offer her a number of suggestions from multiple areas. Short stories and fast-paced novels are especially welcome. She's not into horror or science fiction, but she's happy to try other genres. Laura, your mom is like also, my mom is, my mom did childcare for years, and it was like it was only in the last four that she started to like actually be able to like have you know conversations with grown-ups on a regular basis and read real stuff so I feel you um I'm just going to keep talking. I am going to recommend Young Jane Young by Gabrielle Zevin, which is the book that I want to give to everybody who's like, I need a book for my mom. Um, <laughs> this is this is a really cool multi-generational story. So it is, um, it's about like, it's got three different narrators, but the overlying plot is that it's about a young woman named Aviva Grossman, who is a congressional intern in Florida who has an affair with her boss. And she like, she has like an anonymous blog and she's not aware of like how dangerous it is to put these things on the internet. So she blogs about it. And then the affair comes to light and goes public and the congressman comes out unscathed, but like Aviva does not. Um, and so her life is just like, you know, basically destroyed. Um, and so, and the book actually opens with her mother, um, who, like years after this has happened, it's her mother and her mother is since divorced and is like going on a date. Um, and like this whole situation comes up over the course of like, which is how you found out that this is her mom. Anyway, it's, it's a really lovely book in that it is about women's lives. It's about what happens to women when they make public mistakes and things that don't happen to men. Um, and it's also like, it's quick moving. Gabrielle Zevin is a really great writer. Like she just kind of pulls you in and lets it go. And um, her stories aren't complex, but they're very, what is it I want to say? Like they they really get to the heart of the feelings of whatever plot line she's working with. Um, and I just loved this book. I loved it. It was great. I like want to give it to everyone, um, especially to people who want to read something with their moms. So that is Young Jane Young by Gabrielle Zemin. Okay, I picked The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead because it is just won so much stuff. <laughs> it won the Pulitzer, it won the National Book Award, it's been it was short or long listed long listed, I think, for the man booker this year. It won an Arthur C. Clarke, but that's garbage. I don't understand why it won the Arthur C. Clarke. It's not a science fiction book. I refuse to believe that. Um, <laughs> but it won so much stuff, and it's like so beloved by everyone. I feel like somebody who has who is just getting back into reading uh, will really like it because it's. I mean, just everybody loves it. Everybody, including me. Um, and it is really fast paced for, for for a book that is you know literary fiction, which is kind of a genre that a lot of us can like. You know, it takes a while to get through, and they can be boring. Or that's not what's happening here. Um, so it takes place during the 1800s. I don't remember if it's pre or before the Civil War. I think it's before the Civil War um, in Georgia. And you're following a woman named Cora, who's a slave on a plantation, um, a cotton plantation, who escapes with one of her um, 
I guess friends. Well, he's not really your friend. One of the other slaves, she escapes. And then you are following her, like, just through her life as she tries to stay on the run and uh, stay not recaptured. Uh, so the perspectives alternate between her, mostly her, and Ridgeway, who is the slave tracker who's hired by the owner of the plantation um, to go find her. So she goes back and forth. She, like, she bounces to South Carolina and then in, and um, Indiana and a couple of different places trying to stay one step ahead of Ridgeway. Uh, the, the kind of twist here is that the Underground Railroad of this of the title is a literal Underground Railroad. Like it's a it's a, it's a train. <laughs> it's a train that is under the ground. Um, and so you're, you're never really given an explanation of where it comes from or who built it um, or how like it gets all the way to Georgia. Uh, or who the conductors are, like all of that is left very mysterious and veiled. And that's probably where the like kind of sci-fi genre speculative fiction element comes from because it could be super, it could be supernatural. Like you're just never, you're just never told. Um, in my opinion, it's, it's a big metaphor for how black people have carried this, country. whatever. Anyway, I'm not going to get into it. So um, uh, it's very like suspenseful because Ridgeway is an excellent tracker. Like this is what his life is spent hunting slaves and returning them to the south and so you like you never know and it's hard it's a hard read like obviously it's about slavery and um terrible things happen to every character every single character um but it's still hopeful in a in a weird way i don't know i mean i think that it should be required reading it just should be required reading but at the same time it's like so engaging like you just can't stop following the story and finding out if she makes it like that's all that you care about from page one is whether or not Cora makes it and stays out of the South for and like survives and goes on to have a life. Um, so everyone read it, including your mom. Yay. So that's the Underground <laughs> Railroad by Colson Whitehead. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Woo. Oh, it's me. Um, okay. Question four. This is from Ashley. Um, Ashley says, My boyfriend and I met online and bonded over our shared love of books. We spent countless weekends lounging around reading together in silence. He recently brought up the idea of reading books together, and I am 1,000% on board. My problem is, how do we choose? I have a 1,000-plus books on uh, book... Wait, I have a 1,000 plus book to read list on Goodreads and follow all of your podcasts. He loves to just wander into bookstores and pick up whatever catches his eye. We both enjoy sci-fi and fantasy, but my tastes skew a bit more towards the side of literary fiction, and he is inclined towards more epic, action-packed adventures. I also love nonfiction, which he's never really gotten into. Do you have any recommendations for books that will satisfy us both? I'm thinking something by Terry Pratchett or Neil Gaiman would be a good start. I'm going to stop. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to talk about An Unkindness of Ghosts by River Solomon, which is really good and really intense. So this is a debut novel that I've been excited about for months, um, basically, since I heard about it. Um, and it takes place on a generation ship. It's sci-fi. Um, and they've like people have been on this ship for just generations, as you might guess. <laughs> um, but I know, right? T. But um but the but the the ship is so big, um, and the way that the structure is instead of, you know, like I don't know, evolving culture, they the inhabitants of the ship have just replicated the worst parts of Earth culture. So the lower decks are rationed. They're basically enslaved. Um, they're full of the people who are brown. And they don't get enough heat and they don't get enough food and they're kept in line by uh, people with guns and the upper decks are full of the white people and there's like parks and golf courses and like, you know, 
all of the luxuries and they don't have any rations and there's plenty of light and heat going around up there. Um, and so it, it basically replic you know, replicates antebellum South. Um, and Aster, who is the main character is a woman on this ship who, well, a person, um, who is, um, She's not, she's like a neurodiverse person. I don't, I wouldn't, you know, attempt to diagnose her, but she's, she doesn't, she doesn't respond to people in the same way that other people respond. And she's very smart and she's also been trained in medicine. So she has a little bit more freedom to move around the ship. I will warn you that the book opens with a foot amputation. Like it is not messing around. Um, but so so she has a little more freedom to move around. And the other side of this plot is that she inherited the journals of her mother, who was an engineer, who worked on, like, the ship's core power source. Um, and the journals, like, kind of don't make sense. But since her mother, like, left her as a baby and, you know, disappeared, and she's pretty sure that her mother committed suicide, like, she just figures, you know, this is a disordered mind um, on the page. But then one of her friends is like, oh, but you realize this is a code, right? Like, there's a code in here and that starts to change everything for Aster um, it is a violent dark book as you might imagine like uh, it's 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 there's sexual assault there's physical violence like there's you know all kinds of awful language and racism um, but it is so powerful and it has a lot of action I, I'm recommending it because it is like it has a literary feel to it and that it is tackling this very serious topic but it's doing it in a sci-fi way so I thought that might like thread the needle for you and your um, and your boyfriend. And so and I just can't I kind of can't believe it's a debut. Like it's really it's really well done. Um, I like I need other people to read it so we can talk about the ending. I have like feelings about the ending, um, but nobody else has read it yet. So I need I need I need people to read it. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really intense like redoing of the generationship concept in the lens of, you know, black culture and the history of the black community in America. Um, and River Solomon is a black person. Um, and so that uh, it's like an own voices thing. So that again is An Unkindness of Ghosts by River Solomon. Okay, I went with Kraken by China Mieville because it is sci-fi and fantasy and literary and super <laughs> weird <laughs> and just the weirdest thing you're ever going to read. So I'm really hoping that this gives you guys lots of like, we need to put this book down and talk about what the heck is going on right now moments. Cause what the heck I don't, I did what? Um, so it's, it's modern. It takes place in London. Um, the main character is named Billy and he's a scientist who specializes in the study of cephalopods. Um, and he works at London's natural history museum He's doing a tour uh, when the book opens and, you know, the, the end of the tour, the big, the tour's big like climax is supposed to be a viewing of their specimen of the giant squid that they have. Um, but the tour takes kind of an unexpected turn when they get to the room and the squid is gone. Like it just vanished into thin air. Um, and so Billy gets tossed into this crazy bonkers, what uh, is happening mystery of what happened to this squid. And so you, you end up down in these like, in the underbelly of London, in like the supernatural underbelly of London, there's a um, a cult of squid worshippers called the Congregation of the Kraken, uh, which is super old and like dates back to the beginning of humanity. Um, the antagonist, I guess, of the book would be, or one of them, um, his name is Tattoo, and he's like an actual tattoo. He's like a sociopath who's tattooed onto the back of 
some poor guy who has to carry him around in a very like Voldemort sort of way. Um, <laughs> there's uh, London, it turns out, has a branch of, not crime fighting, but of, of law enforcement that fights sorcery. And so they're like involved. There's agent spirits and all this stuff, like thugs and gang members and all of this kind of, you know, London, like, um, oh, what's that movie? He dodges bullets, Avi. What's that? Uh, it's oh, like oh. guy. Um, Lockstock and two smoking barrels. No, no, no. You're yeah. thinking of Snatch. Yes, Snatch. It's like that. <laughs> like those kinds of thugs and gang members. Um, very Snatch. So Snatch with like terrible uh, squid gods. And I don't know what else to tell you. It's so hard to explain <laughs> because China Mabel's brain is like the weirdest, murkiest twistiest place and it's so much fun and outrageous and bonkers and I think that reading this with somebody else would be maybe kind of necessary because like you're gonna <laughs> want to talk about it with somebody with like another human person so that's Kraken by China Mievel Godspeed indeed cosine um okay I'm gonna do our second sponsor and then we'll do our next question and our second sponsor is All the Crooked Saints by Maggie Stiefvater I know a lot of you have been waiting and waiting for this book she is much beloved um and so it this is a book as you might guess um with a landscape of dark saints forbidden love owls um like a sky full of stars um and this family the Soraya family is at the heart of the novel there are three cousins uh, Beatrice, who just kind of wants to be left on her own. Um, Daniel, who is a saint uh, who can perform miracles for everyone but himself. And Joaquin, who runs a renegade radio station under the name Diablo Diablo. Um, and they are all looking for a miracle, but with the Soraya family, miracles are never quite what you expect. So this is the new novel, obviously, from the author of the Shiver series and the Raven Cycle, which we have big love for here at Book Riot. Um, and it is like a running thread through this book, um, is the juxtaposition between the things people want and the things people fear, which are always often more connected, uh, than you would think. Um, and so it is a very, like, it's just, it's, it's what you want. It's, it's a new book from Maggie Stiefvater. It's got magic. It's got, you know, teenagers who are trying to figure themselves out. Um, it's got family. It's got all the good stuff. So thank you so much for sponsoring the show. And that's all the Crooked Saints by Maggie Steve Potter. I have this sitting on my TBR pile. It's like, I, it's right there. I can, <laughs> the I'm going to get nice. to it. I'm going to get to it. It's, it's a really pretty book. Oh, it's so pretty. And I love to play with the saints concept. You don't see that very often. All right. So our next question is from a different Amanda <laughs> who says, one of my favorite books of all time is We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. Um, I just recently discovered the Flavia Deleuze series and I'm enjoying it very much. My favorite aspect is that these books focus on creepy smart girls do you have any more recs that contain creepy smart girls as main characters i prefer books on audio okay um so i'm gonna recommend swamplandia by karen russell with a trigger warning for rape this book follows three siblings uh who are all young two of whom are creepy girls <laughs> um, and they live in the florida everglades and they like their family ran this like 
gator wrestling theme park um and it is in decline like their mother was the star and she's died um and the there's like a new theme park like a big like corporate owned theme park called the world of darkness that's like encroaching on their turf um so ava the youngest of the siblings um is just kind of like at a loss for how to move on without her mother um her older sister ossie has fallen in love with a ghost um and then her brother kiwi who is just kind of like not into the whole family thing has decided that he's gonna go work for world of darkness um to like try to keep money uh, you know in the bank and like food on the table because their father is just checked out and you know a wall um and Ava, who is just like barely 13, is trying to manage like all of the gators and and figure out what to do with herself. And it's really haunting. Um, obviously, tr- with a trigger warning, it, it goes some very dark places. Also, trigger warning for uh, suicide. Um, it, it it's really it, but it's really powerful and it's so atmospheric. Like the the sort of world that um, Russell has built in the Everglades feels so real, even when. It's like absurd and bonkers. Like this World of Darkness theme park is ridiculous. But you're just like, you feel like you're there. You feel like you're very sucked into it. Um, And the emotional weight obviously is very real. Um, But it has these moments of absurdness that like keep it a little bit from getting too too depressing all the time. Uh, So that is Swamplandia by Karen Russell. Okay. Um, sorry, I was making sure that this one was on audio. <laughs> so my uh, pick for you is Coraline by Neil Gaiman, which is on audio and is read by Neil Gaiman, which is excellent. Um, he's he's got such a like soothing and also creepy voice, which sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. I listened to him <laughs> read um, the Graveyard Book with my kids, and it was it was really good. He's a great reader. So Coraline is. Such a smart, creepy girl book. It's about a girl named Coraline, obviously, who I think she's, I don't remember how old she is, nine maybe? Um, She's pretty young in the book, and her and her parents have just moved into a new flat, and she, um, you know, has explored, looked around her new house, and realizes that, like, one of the doors in her house randomly is locked. And if you open it, if you can get it open on the other side, there's just a brick wall. Like it's a door that goes nowhere. Until one day, um, she unlocks the door. She figures out how to unlock the door. And finds that the brick wall has been replaced by a passage into another flat in a different house that looks just like hers, except it's a it's a little off. So everything is better in this other world, essentially that she has found. Um, the food is better. Her parents and insi- her actual parents at home insist on cooking out of what she calls recipes. <laughs> like cooking out of recipes is the thing that this kid just cannot abide by. She wants to eat like peanut butter and jelly, but her parents insist on making her eat like food, like real food. She hates that. Um, so in this alternate world through the door, um, the food is better. There's a toy box full of toys that she actually likes, but including like little dinosaur skulls that are maybe real. Um, but there's also another mother and another father who look exactly like her real mother and real father, except they have buttons for eyes. Um, and they want to replace her eyes with buttons and keep her there forever so that they can be a family together. Um, and then as the book continues, she realizes that there are other children who are trapped there, who are like trapped behind mirrors and trapped in bird cages and like are just all over. And she realizes that this is not the alternate paradise that she thought it was when she first entered that it's actually like a terrible horrible place 
and that her other parents are monsters. And so the rest of the book is her trying to figure out both how to get home and also how to rescue the other children who are trapped there. So it's a kid's book, but it's so <laughs> creepy. Like, I don't know how old I would wait. I don't know how long I would wait before I would, like, encourage my kids to read this. If they picked it up on their own, fine. But, like, I don't know that I will illuminate them to this exist- the existence <laughs> of Coraline until they're, like, significantly older because it is really creepy. Um, but she's a super smart character. She is a creepy character. All the characters are creepy except maybe the real parents. Um, but it's just, you know... I think it's exactly kind of what you're looking for. So that's Coraline by Neil Gaiman. All right. Oh, it's your turn. Just kidding. Oh, yes. Okay. Question six is from Anissa, who says, It seems like a majority of the contemporary novels I've read recently either take place in the Midwest or New York. I enjoy these books as they tend to feature multidimensional characters with rich stories, but I grew up and still live in the D.C. Maryland area and would love to read a novel that takes place here. The only thing is that I don't want to read a DC novel that features politicians or bureaucrats or political intrigue. The only one I know of so far is The Known World, so anything else that you can recommend would be appreciated. Go on, Jen. Okay. I, whoops. I I missed that word contemporary in the first sentence, and I got stuck on The Known World. I also don't know any DC novels that don't feature politicians or bureaucrats, so I'm going to stick with my pick, but like, whoops. Um, I picked you a historical novel. Sorry. I, so I, I, I got to do the interview for James McBride for our new podcast, Recommended, and it like sent me down the rabbit hole of reading all of his books because he's so great and wonderful. And I'm in the middle of Song Yet Sung, which does take place in the D.C. Maryland area, in Maryland more specifically. Um, and I lived there, I lived in Baltimore for a year myself, so it, like, it was really cool to see that geography on the page, although obviously very different because this is a book that takes place in the days before the Civil War, much like The Known World. Um, it follows a runaway slave named Liz Spokat, um, who has like broken free of her captors, um, and then got recaught and then escapes again. And the thing that's different about Liz is that she suffered like a head injury when she was young. And ever since then, she has visions of the future. And it, like to, to a modern day reader, it is recognizably our future, but she doesn't know what she's seeing. Like, it's just very confusing. Um, and when in between her first and second Yeah, no, in between her first and second break for freedom, she meets an old woman who hands her this code um, that is the code for, like, you know, escaping slaves and how to interact with, you know, slaves who are able to assist them, um, how to get to freedom. And um, and like I said, I'm only halfway through. But what's really interesting what he's doing here, aside from, like, the visions thing, which is very cool, um, is that he's following multiple characters. So you get, like, a couple of, you know, slave owner perspectives and slave catchers and the way that he's such a good writer, like, he is such a good writer. There's not a word wasted on the page, but it's very lyrical still. And it really is rooted in this geography of Maryland. Like, there's this one section where a character is um, trying to hire somebody else to go after Liz and they're in this section of like like very swampy section of Maryland and there's a storm rolling in and like you just feel like you're there you feel like you're really really there um, so it's it's an incredible book like I feel like it doesn't really get talked about a lot um, but everybody should read it so that is Song Yet Sung by James McBride sorry sorry <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I didn't pick a DC novel either. I picked a Maryland novel too. So the, uh, my pick for you is The Accidental Tourist by Ann Tyler, um, which won something big when it came out. Oh, the National Book Credit Circle Award. Um, so this is about a travel writer named Macon. He is a 
he doesn't like traveling, <laughs> which sounds a little ridiculous. But so the series that he writes um, are for people who don't like traveling, like who businessmen who have to go to, you know, places far and wide who would rather be at home, um, you know, in the comfort of their own Snuggie. Not that I relate to that at all. And he, um, so he writes books that are, are for those particular kinds of traveler, travelers. Um, so he's this, you know, kind of crotchety, grumpy guy. And uh, he's coming home. When the book opens, he's coming home from a vacation with his wife to the beach that ended kind of early because they're, neither of them were really feeling it. Um, and then while they're driving home, she tells him that she wants a divorce. Um, and so he is left at home by himself. They had a son who was 12 who was murdered. Um, so he's left at home in his Baltimore house with his dog. Um, and then he falls and breaks a leg and has to move in with his sister and her family uh, to kind of recuperate because he can't take care of himself or his dog with a broken leg. Um, and the dog like, drives everybody so crazy that he has to take, uh, take him to an obedience trainer named Muriel. And so then the rest of the book is about Macon and Muriel's relationship. Uh, he spends a lot of time in her house, which is in a much poorer section of Baltimore. Um, and she is like very quirky and strange and likes leaving her house and like likes people, all of which are foreign ideas to Macon, um, who does not like any of those things. And um, so their relationship is really, I think, mostly about Macon learning how to stop being such a crotchety jerk. But that's, you know, that's it just me. You might read it differently. I don't know. Uh, but it is very much, like, placed in in, um, in Maryland. So there you go. So that's The Accidental Tourist by Ann Tyler. All right. Our last question is from Megan, who says, Having had a challenging time with my mental health at the beginning of the year, I've really struggled to get back into the physical act of reading, although have still been buying books. Oops. <laughs> we feel you. Um, I find audiobooks and podcasts easy to follow, as it tends to be my focus that slips. However, due to the pile of physical books I own, I'm looking for some gateway, easy-to-read books to get back into a reader and not just a listener. I typically prefer fiction over nonfiction, but like a wide range of genres, and I'm willing to give anything a go, although I don't typically enjoy pure romance outside of YA. I do generally lead, lean towards thrillers and mysteries, but think maybe the typically dark subject matter is part of the problem. Any recommendations would be great. I I picked you a cozy mystery. Because, same. <laughs> yeah, because cozies are great. Like they are, they are the popcorn of of books um and i love them um and i picked you the quiche of death by mc beaton which is the first in the agatha raisin series um so like food hello food <laughs> um and it's about a woman named Agatha Raisin who, like, gives up her successful PR firm. She sells her London apartment. And she's going to retire early to this very quiet village and, like, live, you know, an idyllic life. Except she immediately gets bored um, and lonely and, like, doesn't know what to do with herself. So she decides to enter a local baking contest with, like, a store-bought quiche. Um, and she obviously does not place. And the judge of the contest not only, like, does in, like he snubs her entry and then he dies um, and it <laughs> turns out no it's so funny it turns out that the secret ingredient in her quiche is poison um, and she's like what is happening um, and so of course she has to now solve the mystery um, so the Agatha Raisin series is like obviously it's a woman of a certain age she's having silly adventures based around food I mean her name is Agatha Raisin the book is called the quiche of death like this is just gonna be fun for you it's just fun 
Um, and yeah, like mysteries can get very dark and obviously like people dying is not supposed to be super hilarious, but these like, you know, they bring a lightness to it. Um, so it's kind of in your wheelhouse, but a little bit to the side. So hopefully that will help you get back into it. So again, that's The Quiche of Death by M.C. Beaton. Okay, I also went with a fun kind of cozy <laughs> mystery. It's called A Front Page Affair. It's by Radhal Vas, uh, Vatsal, and it's the first book in the Kitty Weeks mystery series. And I am like three quarters of the way through it, and I'm loving it so much. So it takes place in New York in 1915. Um, World War One has started, but the U.S. hasn't joined. So like the Lusitania was just sunk, um, and we are on the cusp of kind of joining the war. Um, the main character's name is Capability Weeks, which is just the best. <laughs> <laughs> she awesome. is just the best. Um, and she comes, she is a, um, like, she's a wealthy girl. She's, I think, 20, uh, early, early, early 20s. Um, but her family, they're, like, business people. Her, her mother is dead, but her father's, like, a businessman. And so she is, like, outside of high society, but only just barely. Like, she has friends who are in the high society, but she doesn't necessarily, you know, she doesn't... Swim in those circles, so to speak. And so she's trying to figure out, like, what to do with herself, and she decides she wants to be a journalist. Um, but since it's 1915 and she is a woman, she gets stuck writing about, like, fashion and society gossip for the ladies' page. Um, and then she's she is at a party that she's supposed to be covering, and while she's attending the party, one of the men, one of the, the people who were there is, is murdered. And so um, one of the, the male journalist who is assigned to cover the murder asks her to do some of the grunt work for him since she was there to kind of get the quote-unquote women's angle of, like, how people felt and what people were wearing and that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, eyewitness accounts, because he thinks that the women who were witnesses to the murder will be more forthcoming with her than they would be with him. So while she's doing that, she decides she's just going to solve it. Like, she's just, man, no, she's just going to do it. Um, so she has to face up against, you know, all of the... Um, obstacles that a woman reporter in 1915 would face, um, including like literally just not being allowed on a lot of the properties that women would not have been allowed on. Um, and while she's doing that, you can tell that the author was really was writing a fun mystery, but is also kind of using the fun mystery as an excuse to talk a lot about domestic history in New York in, in 1915, which I find really entertaining. So there's a lot of um, asides about why New York is laid out the way it is, like in a grid instead of like, like how Paris is kind of like a wheel where all the neighborhoods come out um, from the city center. You know, New York is avenues and, and roads that are numbered. And so there's like why it was built that way and why women wore the kind of clothes they did uh, in 1915 and how we got involved in... Um, World War One and like what life was like upon German U-boats, like all this kind of random historical facts that I really love are like peppered throughout it. And she's just plucky. Like who doesn't love a plucky journalist character? Nobody. Everybody loves the plucky journalist. <laughs> Solving a murder. So that's a front page Fact. affair by Radha Vatsal, and it is the first book in the Kitty Weeks mystery series. Awesome. Um, <laughs> all right. And that's our show. Hooray. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. Um, if you get a chance, please do read, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We love to see your feedback and it helps other people to find the show. Thank you so much to today's sponsors for making Get Booked possible. You can find me on social media, mostly on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com. Jen with two N's. Amanda, what about you? Um, mostly on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.